0: She is a coach, an author, HR professional. There is a trigger warning for domestic violence on this episode. We do talk about it in depth and that is part of Kan Chan's experience and also what she's written her book about. But she's a really light, happy, joyful person. Um, She talks about healing from her experience. Um, She volunteers now to help other women. She was originally living in India during her marriage and due to the laws at the time in the 80s she was unable to escape from that marriage and the domestic violence that was happening. So she eventually moved to the US and she shares her story. So enjoy this one. I am joined by Kanchan Bhaskar. She is a HR professional, author and coach. Welcome to The Divorce Social.
2: Thank you so much for having me, Samantha. It's lovely to see you.
0: So how do you feel me telling you that you're on The Divorce Social?
2: You know, I feel great about it because I think you have a platform where uh, women like us can come and talk about the why divorce? What was the process through the divorce? What are we doing after the divorce? And it gives a good perspective to the listeners as to what they can accommodate and what they should not accommodate. I like that.
0: Thanks. Um, so you're divorced yourself. Do you want to take me back to when that was, where you were in the world and in
2: your life? Yeah, I got divorced way back Um almost 20 years back. And uh, I had a very rough marriage. It was an arranged marriage. I got uh, married in India at the time I was living there. After the marriage, I came to know that my husband was a narcissist, alcoholic, and a violent person. I had to be in his trap for many years under his power and control, And by the time, um, you know, I had already three children. So getting a divorce in India in those years was totally no-no. A woman could not go to a lawyer and say, I want a divorce. She didn't have the power to do it. And in that men role belief system, in that patriarchal society where men... um, think that they have the power and woman is there to serve them, they they take it as very um, antisocial, you know, where a woman is coming and asking for a divorce. So that was not possible for me. Um, the law did not protect me in that situation. The society shamed me. And the lawyers, when I went to them, they said that if you want a divorce, then your children are going to be divided between the two of you. He's going to have either one or all the three children in custody. Um, And that was not acceptable to me. So I had to wait till my children grew up to be 18 and they could themselves go to the court and say, no, we want to live with our mother. So I had to be with him, but at the same time, I, by the time I realized that I was being victimized by him, I started to look for ways to escape from under his control. And during the time that I lived with him, I started to build a ramp towards my freedom. And I started to take steps, made a roadmap and literally went through each step of that roadmap methodically, because there was no scope of any error. If I made any error in between, then one of us, you know, you never know, we could have been killed or, you know, something could have happened to any one of us. So I had to be very careful with my steps. And I kept doing that till the time when I thought that he's not changing, he's not taking any medical help, he's not going to the therapist. He refuses to think that he is at fault. And he it's rather blaming me that I need to go to a psychiatrist. Um, By that time, I thought that I have to be far away from India with my children and I cannot be here. So that's the time I moved to US. And uh, I came here in 2000 and within the next three years, I was divorced. I mean, that was the country that really respected women in that sense. And uh, the law also protects women in so many ways. So I filed for a divorce and I got it. So I was in US at the time when I finally got the divorce.
0: Wow, that's a lot to go through. How did you feel living in India, being in this marriage, trapped, as you said, and knowing that the law didn't, you know, take you seriously as a woman and an individual because you know, you weren't legally
2: allowed to ask for a divorce. I felt miserable, you know, because before this marriage, I was a very independent person. I grew up in a very enlightened environment. I was educated. I didn't think that it was going to happen with me because all the time I thought that it's, you know, people in the interior rural areas, the women that are not educated, who do not understand their rights. It happens with those women, but when it happened with me and the law did not protect me, I felt miserable. Um I but could not have a voice to say anything. You know, because all the people in the law enforcement and in the courts and everywhere are men. And those men came from the same society, from the patriarch society, um where they treated women with no respect. So, yes, I could not have a voice, but I kept trying. I kept going to different lawyers and, you know, thinking that maybe somebody will come to my rescue, but it didn't happen. So, yes, that was a very tough time.
0: Was there any help that you could seek out in India at that time? Were there any kind of support groups
2: or charities? So, Samantha, when... I was there, there was not much or there was nothing, I should say, in the early 1980s. I'm talking about that period. Um, I mean, even the society does not come to help you, leave alone the law and the law enforcement. Uh, So, yeah, there was nothing at that time. But now in the last 10, 15 years, things are changing for the better women have actually stood up um, and they are now empowered. They are all over in every field of work, including journalism, where they are on the TV and expressing their thoughts and, you know, so things are changing but the percentage is negligible. You know, I'm talking of, say, 5% people are now thinking of empowerment. I mean, the women are being respected. But whether men are respecting those women wholeheartedly, we still don't know. So I think it's almost like fifty years hence we may think of yes, things have changed. But yeah, things look like changing, but how much execution is happening, I don't know. So you said you had to wait until your your children
0: are old enough because you, you know, the idea of not having cousins custody of them wasn't acceptable to you. How long did you wait until you could move to the US to apply for divorce? How many years do you think it was?
2: I got married in 1980 and I moved to US in 2000. So 20 years, I was still there. And I moved when my boys uh, were almost 15 and my daughter was 18. That's the time I moved here. And I you know, they were 15. So here there was no law, like they had to be 18 or something. But uh, I had to wait to convince him that let's do it mutual. And also uh, somewhere in my mind, all this time I was thinking he might change one day. You know how we women keep on trying and trying and trying. And today, if you ask me, I said, just give them one chance. And that's it. If they do not improve in that one chance, then, you know, just quit because it's not worth it. It's a short life and you can't be in misery for such a long time. So you need to be happy and free. It's interesting because
0: I remember when I got divorced and people would ask me, you know, oh, but have you, have you tried therapy and have you really thought about it? And I think people who haven't been divorced think it might be a quick decision, and it never is because, as you said, we keep trying and trying.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I wish there was a way that you could just pack your two suitcases and walk out. And unless somebody is in your shoes, they will never get it. That why didn't she leave? That's the question that will always be lingering on and hanging um, in the society.
0: So how did you go about moving to the U.S.? Because when you say it, it sounds very straightforward, but I'm sure it wasn't straightforward in practice.
2: Yeah. So I started to think about moving out of India almost five years before I actually moved. And it's not easy to move. I mean, you need visas, you need all the, you know, for work visa and whatnot so i tried uh with different people i found out first of all those those were not the internet days there was no google that you could search so you could you had to wait to talk to people one person 10 people 50 people you know can you give me any inkling as to where i should go how i should do this and then i came across certain agents you know you they said okay give us this much money we'll send you to uh you know, someplace uh, like um, Europe or somewhere. I mean, I didn't get anybody for US till now, but those five years I was trying for diff- different other countries where um, I could just go. But those were all scammers, you know, they will take money from you and me and not do anything. And then finally, as the universe would have it, and I always thought I had, I was the blessed child. And, uh, you know, the universe is working towards, you know, some some good for me. So it happened and I my <clears throat> I used to work for a multinational there and the uh, the head of that company was visiting India at the time. and I happened to talk to him about uh, not telling him my situation but just saying that you know I've got three children and I want to. And he had a very good impression of me as a professional and whatnot. So I was called for interview in U.S. and uh, I did well in the interview and I moved. So it was a little bit easier as far as the the whole dynamics of moving was concerned. Um, I was on an L1A visa and uh, I didn't have to struggle much for, you know, green card and stuff like that. Uh, but moving as it is was also another ordeal because moving from India to a country like US, there was a lot of adjustment to be made, which we did, me and my children, we all did.
0: So how did you tell your ex-husband that you were leaving and going to America? Or did you tell him, did you just leave? No, that's another story.
2: I came back from the interview. Still, that time. You didn't know that I was going for an interview. And I came back um, and we had to pack and, you know, apply for visas and everything for the children also. That's the time he got the hint that something is going on. And at that time, I told him um, that this is what is going to happen. You will stay back here. If you want to stay in the same house, you can stay um, in the same house. I leave everything, but I'm going to go. And then suddenly he became the nicest person that, you know, he could be very romantic and he would take me out and do things. And so somewhere in my heart, I thought, okay, let me take him with me and buy a return ticket for him so that he knows that where his children are going to live. You know, that compassion came into me foolishly and I brought him with me with a return ticket to go back after two months or so he came here it was good in a way because i came to a strange country and with strange people three children me uh i needed a helping hand at that time and he did it he he changed for those you know months totally because he still had a hope that he can stay back if i get that because he was manipulating me all those 20 years he knew me inside and out so he came, so it was nice to have him here with, the, with us for that, you know, initial period of 15, 20 days. And then, you know, it was time for him to go back and he nicely went back. Okay, fine, I'm going back if this is what you want. Because I told him that I will take care of the children. I, they are my responsibility. You have no responsibility of them. I don't need a penny from you. And by that time, he had become a typical alcoholic classic case where he was in job for two months and then he will be out and then he'll have a job for six months and he'll be out. So when I told him that, that, you know, they are my responsibility, don't worry about them, he was happy. He was relieved, you know, in a way that, okay, fine, I can live my life. So he went back. But after three months, I had a knock at the door and there he was back to us because his buddies whose buddies perhaps they told him that what the hell are you doing us is the place for you just go why are you staying back here so since we had not officially divorced at the time he came back to the u.s to the u.s he lived with us back in the same home And he was not working, obviously. So I was the one who was the bread earner and looking after the children and everything, which I was doing earlier also. Um, But, you know, he did not mend his ways. He was still drinking. Of course, he was not touching me in that sense of, you know, hurting me or anything like that, because he knew the laws in US and 1911 call and he'll be behind the bars. But I think his purpose of coming was also to get the green card and get the citizenship through me. Which the green card he got, of course, before we got divorced and uh, he could file for citizenship later. But then uh, finally, an incident happened where my daughter was uh, got into acute depression and whatnot. And then the therapist told me that you people need to do it on paper. You need to divorce on paper. And uh, that's the time I talked to him. And, you know, we were living separate. We were already living separately for two years. I was in Connecticut. He was in New York. And I called him and I talked to him and I said, this is what we need to do. And uh, like I said, you know, I don't need a penny from you. And he agreed. So I filed for the divorce. It took us three months only. And uh, he came the day we were to sign on the papers. We went to the court. There was one judge who came and talked to both of us if we wanted the divorce. And we both nodded our heads. And we signed the paper and came out. And I was a free bird. How did that feel? It felt wonderful. I was liberated. I thought that I am that bird who can fly in the sky now. There is no stopping me. I have already... I would not say wasted 23 years of my life because I don't regret about it only because I have these beautiful three children from that marriage. Mm. But uh, my trap, my shackles were broken through that divorce. And I felt totally, like I said, liberated. And now I can start to live my life. So I became like 22 years Kanchan back that day.
0: Wow. Because, you know, you moved country to get away from him, but then he came with you. Yeah. So you still weren't free until you got that divorce paper. Right, right. And so how did you go about living your life after that? You know, did he, because obviously you said you were living separately, but he was in America with you. Were you still seeing him? Were the children still seeing him? Was it?
2: difficult to rebuild so my daughter has never seen him she she never wanted to because she has seen with her own eyes what was going on Uh, so she didn't but my boys uh, on humanitarian grounds they said mom we called him once in a while just to you know just for the sake of it but he stopped responding and maybe he got settled we don't know Uh, but now for many years, nobody is in touch with him. And how does that feel for you? Uh, You know what? I have forgotten that life. I've moved on. I don't remember a thing, but till the time I wrote this book, I thought that, you know, I was happy. I'm happy. I'm living my life. I go to jazz bars. I listen to music. I go to Chicago downtown to see all the shows, you know, like, I had my own life. Um, But when I started to write the book, at that time, I thought that perhaps my hurt had not gone away. It was still embedded deep inside me. And since the time that I got divorced, I got so busy in my freedom and enjoying it that I suppressed it somewhere down. I didn't want to think about it. So it came out a little during that time and I went through some PTSD, but I've already always kept therapist and I always, you know, even if I'm happy today, I still go, you know, I just share, I'm happy, you know, something like that. So,
0: yeah, I kept doing that. I think that's really important to say, though, is because a lot of time we get therapy when we're going through something really difficult, which is really useful. But we forget when we're happy that there's still things we can be working on. Yeah,
2: true. Absolutely. And uh, luckily, I've always gotten good therapists. I do some good, you know, go and do some shopping for a good therapist. I, you know, maybe the third or the fourth, you know, suits me. And then we are there for a long together. And uh, yeah, I I like to go to therapists. But uh, life is good. I feel I'm thriving now. Um, I'm doing things that I wanted to do I've become an advocate for women of domestic violence so I do some voluntary work there I'm starting my coaching practice I do a full-time job my children are very close here everybody's like 40 minutes away 30 minutes away so we meet during weekends and we hug each other which we missed so yeah life is good life is good I'm glad
0: Ding dong, it's the ad break. This podcast is sponsored by Penguin in the Room, an award-winning company that can manage your business's social media. They even manage our podcast, Instagram and Twitter. Just email info at penguinintheroom.com for a quote. Also, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can by buying merchandise from our website, www.thedivorcesocial.com
2: ding dong. So what made you want to write the book? Samantha, I did not write the book for many years, you know, after the divorce also. But I used to scribble one or two lines when I was feeling very sad and morose. And sometimes like, I don't want to live this life kind of situation. Um, And, uh, you know, they were piled up in one box. And I used to carry that box everywhere on napkins and yellow pages and you know post-it notes and whatnot but I did not have the courage to write it only because I did not want that hurt to come out and I did not want to go through those scenes and those events that had happened you know those episodes because the book meant writing the book meant that I had to mention those episodes also so But my children kept on telling me for years, Mom, you need to write your story. It is a very brave story. It's a compelling story. And then the key in the ignition, I always say, was uh, put by my therapist, Leslie. She is the one, I went to her and I said, Leslie, I'm looking for my purpose in life. I think I have a calling and I am very restless and I don't know my purpose And she knew my story by that time. And she said, Kanchan, write a book. This is your purpose. Let people know they are waiting to hear this. And become their advocate. They want to hear your story. So that was the day I came. I was driving back from the therapist clinic to my home. And I called my children one by one. And I said, mom is starting to write the book. And I came back home. I straight away went into the garage I looked for the box, which said mom's notes. I brought it to my patio outside uh, where I thought I'm going to sit and write there. It's a you know beautiful place. I love to sit there. There's a church opposite my house. So, you know, I get good vibes from there. Um, I kept the box there. I brought the pen. I bought the paper. I did not even drink water. I just started to pen down. Because, you know, during the drive, I was thinking, okay, this is the way I write. This would be my first chapter. And it was easy to bring it chronologically, meaning like the frame was framework was there in my head the very first day. That this is how I got married. And this is what happened the first day and the second year and the fifth year and the tenth year. So, yeah, I started to do that. I... It was difficult for me during the time I was writing the episodes, you know, I would become sad. I, maybe, I don't know, I did cry a little from time to time. Uh, And then I would take a break. I'll just put the pen down and I'll walk in the, uh, you know, out in, in a park or in some, you know, wilderness and just straighten my mind and, Get some space in my head for myself and think of good things that are happening. Also, and then I would come back and again start to pen down
0: by by episodes. Did do you mean violent episodes? Yes, yes. yes.
2: And you know, it, they were like so vivid in my memory, which I thought that I was surprised myself because I could feel the smell in that room when that was happening i could feel where things were what were my emotions what was he i could see his face you know when i my goosebumps right now mm. um so it was strange that i wrote them so clearly and so detailed um and uh but see the book is not all about those scenes it's more about the hope and the desire and the my strength and resilience that I built during those years for escaping and the empowerment that I felt within myself and the transformation that happened. So the book talks about episodes because the reader needs to understand what I was going through and then it begins to change into transformation that how... I started to have belief in self, which I had to develop because I was a victim who was lost and depressed and alone and self pitying to a person who had to escape this imprisonment with my children. So it talks about my belief in universe and belief in spirituality, because later on, I started towards a spiritual path when I felt that my body has been healed But my soul needs to be healed also. And that was the only way I thought that my soul can heal. And uh, after my divorce, of course, and after a few years, I started to be on the spiritual path. And, you know, how we hear all about mindfulness and meditation. And so I tried all of those things. And they have given me a lot of solace in life. It's brought me a lot of peace in mind. It doesn't mean that I become a yogi or, you know, somebody who's meditating all the time. No, I'm living my life, but I do. You know, according to me, spirituality is that you should be a good human being. That's all what spirituality means, that you are not hurting anybody. You, you're you humble. You're compassionate. You don't have your ego clashes here and there.
0: I agree. Be a good person is a is a good mantra for life. But it's it's interesting you said about the episodes that you could smell the room and that's a real trauma response, isn't it? You know, I've read studies about it that you physically and emotionally feel like you're back in that place. Yes. Obviously you were writing it down then and it was years later and you've always had a therapist, you said, but how do you begin to heal from something like that or from an,
2: an episode like that? It's difficult to heal just by yourself or thinking that, you know what, I can forget it. I have forgotten it, but you don't. So one has to use certain tools, I would say. I call them tools. They are simple universal things that we, you know, observe day to day. They are techniques, I would say. Like you said, mantra, for example. You know, chanting a mantra can rewire your brain. You know, if you keep chanting one s- s- slogan or whatever comes to your mind, uh, I'm a good person, or I love God, or so anything that you want, um, and you keep chanting it for whenever you're free, you go for a walk, you're eating, you're sitting in the toilet seat, or whatever you're doing, you just keep chanting that mantra. Initially, nothing will happen then slowly you will start to listen to the mantra in your own mind. Uh, you're smiling, so you know, right? I mean, that yeah. that's what happens, that it rewires your all wrong thoughts and it brings in good thoughts to your mind. So rewiring was one of the techniques that I used very, very seriously and sincerely. It's interesting
0: because I've never thought about it as a mantra, but I have anxiety and sometimes I have panic attacks. And now I'm older, I, and I'm, you know, I can see the signs of when I'm maybe going to get a panic attack. And so I say to myself, everything is okay. And it is like a mantra, but I've never really thought about it like that. But I just say it over and over again, and it helps me calm down. Yeah, right.
2: So, I mean, that is one of the things. The other thing that I did was a creative visualization, I called it, meaning that, I would sit in one corner in my space sometimes, and I would sit and visualize uh, good things, nature, for example. I love nature, so I would visualize the mountains and the sky and the ocean and flowers and the birds flying. I would do that for some time in spite of all that was going on around me, and I would create that space in my head for myself, for self-care, Literally, you know, that, yeah, this is my space. And I would enjoy that. I could literally see those in front of my eyes. I could see a mountain. I could see an ocean. And uh, I would feel better. And that started to give me some space. So that was another thing that happened. And then, of course, when I started to have that belief in self, I had to go through techniques like self-care, self-passion, self-discipline, compassionate. So, you know, I stopped self-preservation. So those were the things that I did as a ritual, frankly speaking, you know, because I was earning by that time, I could afford to go to a salon, which I had never gone for years. So I would just get my nails done. I'll get my hair done. And I would feel better that it's me. My identity is coming back. This is the Kanchan I want to see. Then I did a very, very small thing, which we all do. You know, I erected mirrors all all over in my house in different spaces. And I used to look at it and say, I am the best. Like even now as an HR professional, I tell my people who are going for interviews, I tell them just before the interview, go to the restroom, look into the mirror and say, I am the best and erect your spine and stand straight. And that makes a difference because the hormones, good hormones start to flow through into you. So I think those were the universal things that I did. And I always had the faith in universe. I knew at the time, Samantha, that my blueprint was already made. So I could not change that. But what I can do is to make my journey a little bit easier by accepting that this is what is happening. And this will happen till you know, the blueprint has it that I'll be free whenever that will happen. It's very difficult to do it. It's easy to say it. But again, you know, once you get into that thought process that I have to accept it, then even small things like, you know, when you are washing, say, uh, dishes and you break a china dish, which is very dear to you and you accept it, that it's okay. It's just a dish. It's fine. Don't worry about it. So, you know, that acceptance starts to come. And then the other thing that universe gave me was uh, forgiveness. You know, I said, okay, fine. By forgiving somebody, I'm forgiving myself in that sense of, you know, accepting uh, I'm not hurting myself anymore. So it's better to forgive. So I think those were the things that spirituality also taught me. And I started to go on those paths. Uh, these were some of the things. And then universe gave me angels. A lot of angels came into my way during that tough time. And they showed me the direction. They told me, they gave me the challenges. In fact, they never pitied me for my situation. They told me, no, you don't, you need to work. Why are you sitting at home with your three children? You need to work and become independent, be financially independent. You will gain more confidence. You will have money. And then only you can think of how to get rid of this man. How can you think of getting go, going away with three children without money? So those angels came into my life. And because I used to, when I was you know crying and doing all those things, I used to look up in the sky and say, God, please help me. Give me the direction. And, you know, in a week, I will find some person coming up to me and talking to me and telling me this. So it was like the mediators were being sent. And then I started to have intuitions. A lot of intuitions started to come to me. So yeah, things started to shape up slowly and steadily with my faith. I think faith in self and faith in universe and faith in spirituality gave me a lot of strength.
0: And had you always been a a spiritual person? Had you always had faith? Or was that something that came to you during that time?
2: Yes, I was born in a spiritual family. Uh, We were not religious, like not following any particular religion, but we were like, you know, believing in everything and that there's a higher power. There was no face of a God. Being an Indian and saying that is strange because India has got like thousands of God faces. (laughs) But uh, in my family, we were spiritual, believed in some little meditation and we had a guru. My parents followed a guru at the time. Uh, I had faith in him. But those 23 years, I had lost everything. Like, you know, my there was so much going on that I didn't think about the guru at that time. Uh, although I had his picture on my refrigerator and I would talk to him. And sometimes I'll fight with him, you know, <laughs> with, uh, with the photo frame. Yeah. And sometimes I'll keep it upside down. I'll say, no, I, you know, you are not my father. You're just not... you. You, you are father of, of everybody else, not my father. My father will not see me like in this hurt. He would not see me in this situation like this. So I would just keep the photo upside down. I'll say, no, I don't want to look at you. And then after two days, I'll again have it up and they say, "Who's who else do I have? You are the only one. So that was the face of the guru, but my guru is a teacher. That's what I know, that he's a teacher to show me the path towards you know, the higher power. Um, So yes, I did have faith always, but I rekindled my faith somewhere in 2005.
0: You know, talking about your spiritual upbringing there, with, with your family in India and your friends in India, How did they react to this situation? Were you able to confide in them and were they able to help you at all before you moved?
2: So that is one thing we victims do. And this is what I always am saying is that speak up and we don't speak up. We try to hide everything because we are ashamed. Mm. And that is exactly what I did. So I had two reasons of not sharing. One was that I didn't want them to know that in spite of this, I'm living with that man. I was ashamed to tell them. But initial stages, I did not tell them only because my father was a heart patient and I was the most loved child among all the siblings. I always felt that. um, He would openly show it to all the four siblings that she's my first one. But anyway, um, I knew that if he comes to know what I'm going through, he already had some minor attacks and I didn't want him to die because of me i mean that guilt i would never be able to pardon myself so i know my none in my family knew my sister had some hints my older sister and my friends my friends were mostly my colleagues i could not make friends outside my marriage because what i was going through so i did not have any like a friend a soulmate where i could share what was going on Maybe some hints here and there that you know he's not a good man or he's not a good person, but he had such a charming personality outside. you know that how mm-hmm. classic cases are you know people I knew people won't believe me, yeah, not many people knew colleagues there was out of question to tell at work that this was going on so. No, there was nobody.
0: So when did your family find out and how did they react?
2: So the family would find out only when I would go back to them, Well, when he will push me out of the house in the middle of the night. So if he was living away in those years, then I'll take a train and, you know, somehow come back and take a three-wheeler and go to the house and tell them that, you know, this has happened. And not telling them, of course, the intensity of it, but a little bit. And they initially, they told me that, Kanchan, you don't have to go back. You know, you can get a divorce. You are young. You have only one child. At that time, I had only my daughter. She was very, not even six months. Uh, and she, they said that, you know, we'll adopt your daughter. But again, you know, that was a barter. That was like this for that. We will take your child and then you get married. So, you know, again, it was like, no, my child doesn't go anywhere and I don't want to get remarried. But this man will come back every time and manipulate and fall in my feet and cry and say, I will never do this again. Give me one more chance. And I would every time go back. So, yes, my parents started to come to know, but they became helpless because I will still do what I wanted to do. So they would they would uh, teach me, they would counsel me, they would want to help me and they financially helped me a lot because every time I went there, I was barehanded, no clothes, nothing, just walking, you know, sometimes with flip flops and my daughter in my arms or all the three in my arms and um, they would buy clothes for us, they'll buy milk bottles for the children, like everything Mm. and then once they've done all that, one month has passed and again I go back. So they became helpless at one stage. Yeah. And
0: so if anyone is listening and they are going through a similar experience or they're in the midst of a domestic violence situation in their marriage, or maybe it's the first time it's happened and the, the person is saying that they're very sorry and they'll never do it again. Do you have any words of comfort, or wisdom
2: for them? The first thing here I would like to say is that do not keep giving chances to the perpetrator. Give them one chance. If he's a violent person, if he's not agreeing to go for medical help or therapy, just give them one chance and walk out. If he's taking therapy and medical help, you can give him a second chance or a third chance, but not more than that. If it's a situation where your safety is at a risk, then in any case, you should not even try the second or third time. Like in America, if there are guns at home or you know things like that, then there is no question. So your safety is much more important. The second thing I would like to say is that speak up. Why are we hiding behind the closed doors? Because the fault is not ours. The guilt is not, should not be there. So why are we not speaking up? We should talk to everybody around us, including our neighbors, because they may come to help if they hear something shouting or something. And for your own safety, you should always keep one pouch with all your documents, you know, passport and things like that, and one set of car keys outside somewhere safe, so that if a situation arises, which is make and mar and is, ready to kill you or something of that nature is happening, you can just run out and take the car and you know be out and away. Um and then of course I would say that once you accept that you are a victim, start to look for freedom. People who are really imprisoned, they should strategize their freedom. They should have a roadmap and they should start to taking steps, start taking steps we are all born free and we have the right to be free. Nobody should be able to keep us under the shackles. So these are the three things I would like to say. Thank you.
0: And what does a roadmap look like? What, How, if you're like, I want to strategize my freedom, but I don't know where to start. Yeah.
2: So the roadmap is that where I am today and I, where I want to be. So you are literally visualizing your freedom that I'm out with my three children. I am this lovely home or you know so you you can dream anything you want. So you visualize that and then you break it down into milestones that right now I'm getting the beating every day. I'm not financially independent. I have no knowledge. I am not educated or whatever that situation is break them down into milestones that this is the first step I need to take is to become financially independent or get educated, not like three years course, but something like, you know, trade scores or something. And uh, <clears throat> then the second step is that, you know, like I did was, I sent my children to boarding schools away from home. I did not want to see that. I did not want them to have that in their psyche and, you know, become god knows, sociopaths or whatnot. So that was my second step. The third step was I'll buy my own house in my name because he pushes me out of his house anytime he wants, along with my three children. So I bought the house. And so these are the milestones you have to build. But if you think that after financial independence, and you don't have children, just pack two suitcases and walk out, you know, so things like that. Everybody has their typical situation and they can build the milestones to get there. Mm
0: -hmm. I like the visualization as well. Yeah. I think that's useful in any unhappy situation. Yes. Visualizing the future when you are happy and free. Right,
2: right. And this roadmap works for any adverse situation. Wherever there's a challenging situation, you know, you can use this.
0: And so with the book... You you said it was you know it brought stuff up when you were writing it. What did it feel like to finish the book and have it as a? Because I I'm a writer as well and I just I was just recently sent my latest book which is I'm deaf in one ear. So it's about living with hearing loss and deafness, mm-hmm. and whole, and you know when it gets sent to you and it's got the cover on it and you can hold it. It feels like a really momentous occasion how did it feel for you
2: it was amazing it was exhilarating Um, I was very happy and I felt healed when I when I finished the book I felt I was healed now and when I saw the book cover I was like wow this is my baby that's going out to the world let the whole world read it and see it and listen to it so yeah it was uh it was a very enlightening moment for me and what's the reaction
0: been like have you had people contact you that are in yes similar situations
2: yes when i was writing it uh samantha truly speaking i was thinking that who's going to read this <laughs> <laughs> everybody wants happiness in life who's going to read this story but then, when I started to think it, it is going to be, a, you know, very hopeful story uh, you know, for people. Um, the reaction has been wonderful. You know, it is being so well received by people. I'm amazed because I have done a number of podcasts. I've done some video recordings. I have presence on YouTube now. Uh, I'm also uh, separately promoting it in India because you know it starts in India. So I'm going to visit India shortly to promote it there too. Um, my friends around now, colleagues, etc. Everybody, whosoever has touched the book, they said they had to finish it in one go. It's like a page turner, and uh, I've got very good feedback from everybody. And they, you know, it also gives a picture into the cultural differences to people. So that is another aspect that people are liking, and. Uh, of course it's a story of a brave woman so and this is the era where women are standing up and saying yeah. yes we are here um so yeah I think it's I'm I'm happy the way it's been received
0: wow what a full circle moment that will be when you go to India to promote it yes when you felt yeah do you think you'll will it be bittersweet because you know that was the place where you were you were trapped
2: and the law didn't give you a way out it is going to be bittersweet but I have stopped to care about the bitterness you know even if it comes to me for one minute I can just shoo it away now it's like why am I thinking about it it's over it's not a part of my life anymore so it's like I think it's going to be more sweeter than any bitterness um I may if I at all visit those places I may but I'm not visiting those places
1: <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah so yeah it'll be sweet I want to meet my college friends and you know my college friends I I met them again after a long time on whatsapp there's a group I didn't know and they were like why didn't you tell us that you were going through this life we should have known mm. we should have helped you we could have done this we could and I was like that's why I say speak up let people know what you're going through so I think I'm going to have all good uh, feelings. I want to go to the best restaurants and best hotels and stay there and have some fun and meet my friends and my family. My sister is there, so yeah, I'm excited. That sounds amazing. Yeah.
0: Well, can you um let us know what the book is called and where we can get a copy?
2: The title of the book is Leaving, and the subtitle is How I Set Myself Free from an Abusive Marriage. It is, uh, it has been launched yesterday on the 11th and it is available on all bookstores, on all online, Amazon and Goodreads and Barnes and Noble and everywhere. I do not know what stores you have in UK, but I'm sure uh, you can figure out. I have a website by the my name, kanchanbhaskar.com. It's K A N C H A N B h-a-s-k-a-r.com all the details are there about me my excerpt is there about the book little brief is there all the links to my social media are there so it'll be easy to find me perfect
0: well thank you so much I've really enjoyed our chat and and your
2: story thank you so much Samantha it was such a you know great pleasure talking to you and my goosebumps are still there (laughs)
0: It was a pleasure talking to you, too. And you are a brave woman, as you said about your story. So thank you. you. And I can't wait to
1: read your book. Thank you so much. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
0: Oh, hi. Thank you for listening to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines. Please leave us a review. Please, please. Um, It would be super nice. They're lovely to read. They keep me cheery and happy and keep me going. Uh, But also it affects our listing in the podcast charts, uh, which are very important because that's how more people find the podcast. And I'd love to help more people get through those really tough heartbreak and divorce times, and they're more likely to find us if we're higher up on the charts. So, if you'd like to leave a review, I'd love you forever. You can leave them on iTunes, is the big one, or most podcast platforms do them as well. I'll take all the reviews you've got to give. You can also uh, get in contact on Twitter and Instagram at Divorce Pod and at Samantha Baines. We have a website, thedivorcesocial.com. And we have a Patreon account, which means the use